Welcome to Successful Aging, the podcast designed to introduce you to industry professionals who will share information and resources related to aging. I'm your host, Judy Porter, the Development Director from the Nashua Senior Activities Center. Let's get started. Good morning, listeners. I'd like to introduce you to our podcast, Successful Aging, the podcast of the Nashua Senior Activity Center. And today we're talking with Right at Home Senior Care and co-owner Darius Snow Hayward is joining us. She is a registered nurse, a BSN, the co-owner of Right at Home of Southern New Hampshire. Daria is a proud U.S. Air Force veteran with more than 20 years of experience in the field of critical care in various ICU settings, also cardiac cath lab. She's worked all over the country caring for patients and was looking for a new challenge when her and her co-owner, Maria, purchased Right at Home Senior Care a, a couple of years ago from Rich and Janet Sullivan uh, when they retired. And so we are very happy to welcome Daria to the show today to talk about some of the challenges of home health care during a COVID pandemic. So welcome, Daria. Well, hi, Judy. Thank you for having me. And hello, everyone from Nashua and surrounding that is listening. You know, we have listeners worldwide. I actually checked our stats the other day and we had a few people from Germany even listening to us. So we're international wow. now. We're doing an international podcast. You just tug. You never know who's going to listen to you. That's awesome. Hello. Welcome, everybody. So thank you for joining us. And I wanted to focus a little bit because you have such a strong background in ICU care. So I would assume that when the pandemic hit and so many critically ill patients were overwhelming the ICUs, you kind of really had a background in just how deep in the trenches people were and probably had a better understanding than many people of how dangerous the COVID pandemic was. But at the same point in time, you were running your very own business right at home of Southern New Hampshire, a home care business, and probably looking at a variety of challenges in how you were going to address COVID in dealing with home care patients. Oh yeah, so um, to address the first part of your question, you know, I still have so many friends who are in the trenches every day in the ICUs. And the first thing I felt was guilt that I wasn't there, Yeah, you know. That's understandable. Right, it was a struggle. Um, but at the same time, you know, I have a responsibility to my clients and my caregivers. And so I immediately, Maria and I both felt this weight of responsibility okay, we've got to learn all about this virus. We've got to keep everyone safe, clients and caregivers. And that's how we started. And we haven't let up since. We can, just like everybody else, right? You know, even the scientists, 
everybody can is continuing to learn and we change things based on what we're learning. So it hasn't let up to be honest. And now the big campaign is vaccinations, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so excited that on the 22nd, I'll be able to sign up because, Yay! you know, my, my mom is actually um, homebound and I haven't wanted to take her to get vaccinated because I felt it was too dangerous for her to be in the car with me for 45 minutes to get her to a site. Well, listen, um, side, sidebar later, um, I would be happy to take your mother to go get her vaccination. I'm fully vaccinated. I feel like it would be safe and we need to get your mom vaccinated. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Daria. That would be so awesome. Oh, you know, it's such it. a, it's such a weight of thinking, okay, how am I safely going to execute this? And I know that I'm not the only person, um, dealing with this challenge. And I'm, it's just, it is, COVID has been overwhelming um, for a lot of people. And I know as a caregiver to an elderly parent, many of your home health workers are dealing with the, the same age bracket as I am with my mom. It's challenging making sure, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm disinfecting like every inch of me and I'm wearing all the, the PPE I can when I go in her house to be sure that I'm safe, that she's safe from me. Oh yeah, it's heavy, right? It's a heavy weight. It, and what's interesting is, um, you know, as much as we need to keep our community safe, especially the elderly community, Okay, well now we have to balance it with your mother needs you on a um, socialization sort of level, right? She needs that socialization. She needs to see you, know that you're well, you need to see her, you need to touch each other. There are all these layers to it, you know. There when are you're having when you are having a crisis, when you are having anxiety, who are you gonna depend on? Your family. Okay, well now we have to depend on our family from a little bit further apart. Um, we've had to get very creative. Now, have you been able to do that with your mom? Have you been able to, I know it's not the same, but have you been able to find ways to get her some socialization and and reach out to her and see that she, her needs are getting met? Yes, you know, my, my sister and I work our own little schedule to do that. We have at the Nashua Senior Center, we've been calling many of our seniors to check in on them because the, the exact opposite of, of our mission is, is what the pandemic caused. We're here <laughs> yes. to prevent social isolation and so then seniors are being told to isolate and so even when we reopened in late july um, we're still in phase one we're doing about 20 percent of our programming and we're following all the safety protocols set out by the public health department um, we have found that the cognitive decline in many of the seniors who we interact with was quite apparent that isolating for long periods of time 
is not really good for the human psyche in so many ways. And for older Americans, it really, the cognitive decline. Um, well, there's a lot of science behind that also, that the, the ways that we fight Alzheimer and, Alzheimer's and dementias are not just through um, diet and exercise. And there are some medications which have varying levels of efficaciousness, which is not a whole lot, to be honest, when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia, but um, socialization, there's a lot of science that says our brains need this to function properly. And so um, I think a lot of families are seeing this right now. Like, I'm so happy that we're vaccinating. I'm so happy that the CDC has come out with these um, new recommendations, right? I know the state of New Hampshire is looking at them to see if they want to follow suit and make these recommendations, but oh gosh, if grandmas can hug grandkids and Absolutely. grandmas can hug their own adult children, it's just so important. They need that stimulation and emotional health. So I feel like, Judy, it's right on the horizon, right? Like a lot of our elderly are, are vaccinated right now or almost vaccinated. So that's the important step. You know, we need that for brain health. Absolutely, absolutely. So what have your home healthcare workers, how did their jobs change at the beginning of the pandemic? Because it had to be a very marked change for them. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Judy, the. The interesting slash funny slash not funny thing <laughs> that happened was um, when Maria and I made this change in our lives, we went from the bedside to non-medical home care. And a lot of the drive behind that was, okay, how can we use our education and our experience to help the community? Um, but, you know, we've had so many years that I don't want to say um, the level of drama, but the level of emotions when it's life and death, it sounds dramatic to say it, but every shift is life and death and it takes a toll. Emotionally, it takes a toll. So we were really excited about changing gears. Okay, now we can serve the community and um, in a non-medical way and then you know, so we bought this business in July and then I find myself the following March caregivers how to don and remove full PPE from N95s to shields, um, gown, gloves, the whole nine yards, having not just, um, you know, discussions on a very elementary level about infection control, but very detailed, lots of learning about infection control practices and, um, you know, constantly reading guidelines and reviewing. And so, you know, we had to laugh like, wait a minute. But thankfully you had that solid background from both being nurses and both dealing it with critically ill people you had been exposed to that, that full PPE, the, the shields, the N95. So for oh, you, yeah. I, it wasn't quite as foreign and you knew why it was necessary. 
Oh yeah, and we knew instantly. We were um, the first home care to put our caregivers in masks. And when we did it, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was this, um, before masks became a thing, there was this sort of idea that if somebody's wearing a mask, they must be sick or they're gonna make me sick. There was this thing about masks. Yes, so, yes. Right? And so what happened was um, we had a very early case of COVID-19 and um, caregiver and client became ill and tested positive within hours of each other. And so we saw this happen. And then we saw that another caregiver who just um, gave report had gotten um, COVID-19. And we saw that happen in front of our very eyes. And there wasn't a lot of data and a lot of science about how contagious the virus was. And when we saw that happen, we were like, this virus is so incredibly contagious. We have to put everybody in masks. And when we did that, we did lose a lot of clients. <laughs> we also lost caregivers because they were they were afraid. And we did, even though we did a lot of teaching about it, um, you know, on from a business perspective, it hurt. But our priority was, and our, our, our priority always is, we have to, we always say we put the caregiver first and we put our client first. Well, how do you do that? How do you put both first at once? Well, we just do. So we do the right things first to keep everybody safe, but it was, I'm telling you, it was such a scary time. But yeah, I think because we had that clinical experience, um, we weren't afraid to make those decisions. We knew it was the right choice. We weren't guessing. We saw it happening right in front of our very eyes. And so we're like, listen, this is what we're doing. We'll do as much education as we can. And then when it came time to, um, you know, like we saw, you know, we have a lot of um, colleagues who are in home care and we have a large corporate network that we can talk with and things. And we saw some folks that were just throwing things at the wall to see if they were stick because they were scared. and not maybe as educated, like, oh, I'll put people in N95 respirators. Well, if you put somebody with a tiny face in a large N95 respirator, it's gonna do more harm than good. They have to be fit tested. They have to have an exam. They have to have all these things. And so thankfully we had that clinical experience. We knew how to safely, like putting on and removing PPE, it might sound very easy, but there's a technique to do it to keep you safe from the virus that's on your PPE. And so. We felt very comfortable doing that and talking with our caregivers. And it was comforting um, to have that background. And it, you know what else was really nice was other home cares were reaching out to us for advice, which was nice also, you know, to be able to be there for them. And, um, and then I've got to also just throw in that the Department of Health um, I don't know if you have had any experience dealing with the New Hampshire Department of Health, Judy, but these guys, I don't know how they did it. And I, I never really get into the conversation because I know how busy they are, but I would love to know how they did this because 
from day one, like I said, we had a very early case and we talked with them frequently. We worked with them a lot. And every time we would reach out to them and talk with them, these nurses acted like they had all the time in the world and they would take as much time as we needed to make sure that we were doing everything in the right way. And I don't know how they did that. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing talent. And that comes from the top down to educate your employees and to make sure that right? people don't feel like they're getting rushed off the phone. Yeah to make them feel like they are the only person that you are focusing right. on at that time. Right, because surely they didn't have that infrastructure when the pandemic first hit. Absolutely, yeah. Surely they didn't have all the time in the day. <laughs> no, but, it, but the, 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 the best business practices, which can extend over to government are when you're dealing with someone, they need to be your only priority. They need to be your only focus. And if you're yeah. able to actually communicate that out to them and and leave that impression as you got that they had all the time they were just focusing on you what a great testament to the work that they did uh, early oh, yeah. on in the pandemic they nailed it they nailed it and they never let up i've been so tickled by them and i do pass it on any chance i get but you know post pandemic when we all look back on this i would love to go back and sort of talk to some of these folks like um, Bonnie Bagley and um, Trisha and just some of these folks and say and ask them what they were going through and what their days looked like and they were amazing and super helpful. They really did a great job in keeping the community as safe as they possibly could. And, uh, and that was the key. And we're still Hopefully right at the moment with the vaccinations, we're starting to see some light at the end of that tunnel so we can slowly um, start normalizing again mm. because it's not going to be like flipping a switch, especially for many of the seniors. It's a process. It will be a process to renormalize. I even find myself when I'm watching old movies or older TV shows, which, you know, a couple of years is now older and you find yourself gasping, oh my God, they don't have a mask on. And then you realize that- They're oh, too close. That was, yeah, yeah they're, they're not socially distanced. And you realize that yes. was five years ago. Yes. yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so then you realize just how deeply ingrained the whole pandemic is into your psyche. And that's not going to be flipping a light switch. That is going to be a process for us all. It's gonna be interesting, isn't it? Um, when the guidance came out about the CDC guidance, now we've all been vaccinated here in the office and um, <clears throat> my, and we still done and we still wear masks and social distance, even though we're all vaccinated and the CDC came out with this guidance. Well, yesterday my care coordinator and I had to share a screen for a Zoom meeting and we we're talking about the CDC guidance and we we're like, should, should we take it? Should we take off the mask? And we did take off our masks, but it didn't feel right. And yeah. <laughs> even though, listen, science tells us it's okay. The CDC tells us it's okay, but it's it didn't feel right. Time. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to take time because yeah. we're all now trained 
which was good because it took a long time to get people trained to it. Sure, sure. So it's going to take time. Now, coming through the, the pandemic, um, I have seen that, that I believe you were on a TV station and wrote an op-ed for a paper about the home healthcare worker shortage. And is that still in place? And what were some of the causes of that? Was that a small pre-existing need before the pandemic that just made it so much worse? Where does that currently stand? Well, yeah, I mean, there was a caregiver shortage before the pandemic. That was a, definitely a challenge. Um, and then, you know, when the pandemic happened, we lost caregivers because of a couple things. First of all, a lot of our caregiver um, demographics are older, more at-risk folks um, who just work part-time, um, you know, in their retirement because they want to do a, a service job, right? Um, and they were scared, rightly so, uh, to work. And so we lost caregivers in that way. And then also um, we have a lot of caregivers who are moms to school-aged children. And so they were doing Zoom meetings during, they had to be home with their children during the day and didn't have any availability because of that. So because of the, both of those reasons, we've lost caregivers. Now, we have gotten some of our older caregivers back and they were, are still, are they are working on a limited basis, but it sort of goes back to that whole process thing that you were talking about, like they're vaccinated, um, but it's fear of the unknown. And, you know, when you go through, like everyone has gone through this time of such high anxiety, you can't just, like you said, you can't just flip the switch. Okay, now it's okay for me to go back to work. So yeah, we are struggling with getting enough caregivers. And, um, you know, when you think about so while so what happened was so we're you know and I I'm speaking for home care in general it's not a problem just specific to right at home but home care across the nation is struggling to for enough caregivers but also the need has increased because what you have is you know COVID-19 is in these institutions and these folks you know long-term care hats off to all these guys they've been fighting you know, they were also understaffed to begin with. And so they have been fighting to keep people safe. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, people are scared to now put their family members in those long-term care facilities or assisted livings and things like that. And so they call us um, to try and keep their loved ones at home so that they can still have access to them and see them and, and things like that. And and then we have a caregiver shortage. So we want to serve these folks. And so what happens is what we do is um, we do have a wait list, but what we try and do is serve higher acuity needs first. And so the folks that are getting left behind are people who just need um, some socialization, maybe some homemaking, maybe um, trips out and about to shop or errands or things like that. Those are the people that are kind of getting left behind right now because we try and serve these higher acuity needs, safety, you know, um, med reminders, um, supervision, things like that. Those higher acuity personal care, those higher acuity needs, 
we tend to service first. So, um, so if someone is interested in becoming a caregiver or is interested in obtaining home care, how would they reach out to you? What's your phone number? What's your website? Oh, listen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're on the um, web. We're uh, right at home snh.com. And you can apply for a job there. We're also on, um, you can find us on Indeed. You can, um, you can email us at info at writeathome-snh.com. Um, you can um, call the office. We're 603-216-9296. And then even if you don't wanna be employed as a caregiver, check on your neighbors. You know, maybe they just need a couple grocery runs that you could do for them, or um, you know, maybe they need a ride to get a vaccination, right? Or maybe they need help signing up for the vaccination. That's another way that you can help if you don't want to be employed as a caregiver. But these are ways we can help our community just get by. I mean, normally people could pick up a phone and call any home care, and we could do these things. And I think most of the home cares are like us where um, you know we're trying to help these higher acuity needs first and so you know we would love to have you as a caregiver um, and and as a matter of fact um, we are the only nurse-owned home care in New Hampshire now I will tell you that um, the other home cares in the community are all great <laughs> and we depend on each other. So you couldn't make a mistake, honestly, becoming a caregiver to any of these great home cares. Um, but we are nurse owned and um, that gives us some advantages as far as education opportunities. And we do a lot of, um, like I go out to a lot of homes and I do a lot of teaching in home situations like, well, personal care, turning, repositioning, um, Hoyer lifts, things like that. We do that. That is, uh, that certainly is an advantage uh, to, I could see owning a home care agency to have your particular background and skill set is amazing because you have been in the medical field for quite some time and to get that to avail yourself to be able to train people on those kinds of things, to be able to use a Hoyer lift is its own challenge. To be trained on it the proper way is amazing. But once again, you have different levels um, of home care. And so if someone is interested, reach out. Uh, because as you said, many seniors who are in their second or third act of what they're doing in life. It's a, it's a wonderful um, part-time job to have. You are really helping people. You're helping the community at a base level. And there is definitely a shortage. Let me tell you something, Judy. So let me tell you a fun story. And this happens quite often, but this particular um, caregiver, I always think of her. So she actually um, reached out and interviewed for an office position here, right? And um, she was a retired professional. <laughs> um, 
who used to be a college professor and did all these amazing things. And um, she wasn't a good fit for the office position for many reasons, but as she was talking to me, um, and she just had such passion for her older neighbors. And she was just telling me stories about some folks that she goes to church with and she helps. And I said, you know, I was like, listen, you're a caregiver. <laughs> may not have any formal training and you know she had worked all these years in an office setting and did not think of herself as a caregiver well it don't need any skills to be a caregiver other than you know the passion to just help people and so if anybody out there has a passion that's all you have to do is have the care part if you have the care part we'll do the training on how to be a caregiver. And there are all sorts of levels of care that we do from folks that will show up and um, we'll cook them a nice breakfast and remind them to take their meds and just be around for them if they need anything. And it gives their family peace of mind. The family can go to work or do things that they need to do or even have some respite. Um, so there are all sorts of levels to care. And, and this particular, um, caregiver who went from, <clears throat> you know, being a professional, never thinking of herself as a caregiver. So she did come on board. She she thought about it for a couple months. <laughs> she went home, she called me a couple months later. She's like, I was thinking. So anyway, um, she learned everything. Like she started doing um, very basic level sort of home care companionship type things. And then she just wanted to learn a little bit more. And we were willing to teach her whatever she wanted to learn till um, towards the end, she was doing hospice, um, you know, end of life care and things like that, which are super important. So yeah, if anybody wants to join, you don't have to have any skills other than just, you just need to care. And you need to we'll, just have some compassion. Yes. So yeah. what's the phone number again, if someone wants to reach out to you? Okay, we're a 603. And then it's 216-9296. Um, just let us know that you're interested in a caregiver position and we'll take it from there. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule today, Daria, to chat with us and educate um, our listening audience on some of the challenges in home health care due to COVID chatting about the shortage. It's always a pleasure. I learn something every time I talk to you and I'm sure that we will have you on again. Thank you so uh, much. It's been an honor, Judy. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>